And so the question that they ask him is a question we ask ourselves, why do I run from him? Why do I run from a God that loves me and cares for me and has the best for me? Why do I run from that? Why so often do I feel better sick than I do well? There's something wrong with God. There's something wrong with me. And that's what this is revealing. And I love that that through all of this, God is seeking to bring Jonah to a place of repentance in his life. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. All right, turn to the book of Jonah, chapter one. All right, guys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness, your love for us, your mercy towards us, Father. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us now through the power of your word. We thank you that all of it, from Genesis to Revelation, is inspired by you. We thank you that all of it points us to the picture of redemption and and the person of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, again, reveal yourself to us through your scriptures this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week, we began our study in the Old Testament book of Jonah. So if you're just joining us, um, that's where we are. We we began just the first three verses last week. Um, And as we opened the book, we learned, hopefully, what the book is about. The book is about God. It is not about the fish. Say it with me. It's not about the fish. It is about God. It is about Jonah. Okay? It's about Jonah. But it's also about God, God revealing who he is and how he sees humanity. It's about Jonah, God's patient grace to reveal Jonah's heart to him, revealing his error in order for there to be further growth in Jonah's life. And so you see the patience that God has with Nineveh and also the patience that God has with Jonah himself. It's, it's an incredible story, uh, and it's very unique to the Old Testament, and especially in the, the section of the Old Testament that it's in, when the minor prophets, normally when the when, blah, 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 normally when the when, <laughs> normally when the word of the Lord came to the prophet, he would then go and speak that to the people, and that would be the theme of the book. But this story begins with the word of the Lord coming to the prophet, the prophet Jonah, who's called by God to go to the city of Nineveh, a people that were outside of the covenant promises of God. They were a cruel uh, and wicked city, um, one of the the most wicked of, of all time, I guess you could say. And instead of going... He runs from the Lord. He boards a boat to Joppa or in Joppa that goes to a city that is at that time was the furthest point on the map in the opposite direction. Like it's the opposite direction and it's also the furthest known place in the world for him to go. And Jonah goes there instead. And his plan seems to be going well until now. And we pick up the story here in verse 4. And Jonah's about to enter into a storm of his own consequence. In verse 4 it says, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. 
But Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the ship, had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So, that, so they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Play the video one more time. No, just kidding. <laughs> Jonah finds himself in the middle of the culmination of his decisions. A raging storm that doesn't just affect him, but those around him. An important lesson for all of us to learn and, and take from this story is that sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. And... When we read this, we need to ask ourselves, how am I supposed to interpret the storms of my own life? So we want to look at this story from, from that perspective. And I want to start by saying this, not every difficulty and struggle that we go through in this life is connected to some disobedience in your life. Sometimes it's a result of the broken and sinful world that we live in. And sometimes it can be the result of someone else's sin in which we experience difficulty and storm-like circumstances in our life. But storms of suffering in that sense, if we're going to relate this to the idea of suffering and God coming against or a consequence in that way, suffering and difficulty are not always a direct result of sin. And a great example of that is the story of Job. Uh, Zach wanted us to go through Job this summer and call it Bummer of Summer or Summer of Bummer. Okay? But it's this story of a man who lost everything in one day. He was blessed by God. He had herds. He had flocks. He had a wonderful family. He had sons who had wives, who had grandchildren. And in a moment, all of it is taken away. He's then, his body is then afflicted with sores and boils. And there he is, left in ashes, just like, in one day, everything's gone. And the Bible tells us that he was a blameless and upright man, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So there is such thing as innocent suffering. Like not every difficulty in your life has a direct result or comes from a direct result of your sin. You get a flat tire and you're like, God, I repent from my whatever it was. Please refill my tire or whatever. Not every time that something happens to us 
is a result or because of our sin. Um, but here in Jonah's case, this is a direct result of his disobedience to God. That's what this is. The nation of Israel would wander in the wilderness because they were disobedient to God. There's a consequence. They went into bondage in Babylon because of their disobedience. And we see that God chastening his people throughout their history, not because of, of, of the fact that God just loves to be that. And he's like, I love to discipline. It's my favorite thing in the world. As a father, it's, it's not something that I look forward to every week uh, of disciplining my children. Um, we just remembered the whole like, idea of timeout, like last week. It was amazing. My daughter was freaking out. I'm like, you know what? That's it. Timeout. My wife's like, timeout. Forgot about that whole thing. Anyway, and then you put them in their own little room and whatever. So, listen, disobedience to God or sin, which is what sin is, is trespassing or crossing the line. It's missing the mark. It's going against what God says. It's disobedience. That has a direct effect upon our life. It, it does. It has consequences. Um, so what does this storm reveal? What, what does this reveal in Jonah's life? It reveals sin. When God brings this upon Jonah, it's not, it's not God. <laughs> it's revealing something here. It's revealing that Jonah was in sin and running from God. Recently, I threw out my back or I had muscle spasms all up the left side of my back. Super fun. If you ever want a good weekend, just muscle spasms. So I had muscle spasms real bad. I was like really painful. Um, I missed, uh, it was on Memorial Day. Uh, Memorial Day, I was out on my back all day long. Like it was, in, it was not feeling well. Tuesday, I'm like, I can move again. My leg works. I got in the car to go to the chiropractor. I go to the chiropractor for whatever long and they do all these electrodes and try and get me to relax. And then sitting in a car, it was so painful. But I had to drive myself, right? So I'm getting in the car. I get, I'm going through my neighborhood, and there's this, there's, and I'm coming down this this road here, and I'm pulling up to a stop sign, and I look left, and there's no one there. So I roll through the stop sign, and as I look, California's finest, sitting there, just waiting, and I, I clearly had rolled through this stop sign, and immediately I put on my seatbelt because I wasn't wearing one. <laughs> just did the whole. Click, I reached in my back pocket, got my wallet out, pulled my license out, and just pulled over before the lights came on. Sure enough, he pulls it right behind me. <laughs> hey, I'm pretty sure you know why I pulled you over, and I'm like, I absolutely do. Here you go. I my license. And the guy was so nice. He was like, are you in some kind of hurry? Like, what's going on? He's like, you didn't, it wasn't horrible, but you really didn't stop. And I'm like, I... You're absolutely right. And he says, are you, like, are you in a hurry? I said, no, I did, my back, I'm just in so much pain and I really just want to go home. Like, I just got to get out of the car. And he's like, okay, that's understandable. I get it. But you have to stop at stop signs. <laughs> I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I, I rolled through this stop sign and there in my hand, I am now holding the evidence of my sin. Right there, that ticket which by the way is a fat ticket. Stop at stop signs. Like serious, it's like 200 and something dollars. It's like a fat ticket. Yeah, it's awesome. It was, a, it was a blessing. Sin has consequences, $200 consequences. 
And there in my hand is the evidence of my sin, the penalty of my sin, the consequence of my sin. I broke the law, clearly. Was it, was it the stop sign's fault? No. Was it the cop's fault? No. Was he just doing his job? Was, I, was the stop sign doing its job? Absolutely. Whose fault was it? It's my fault. I'm guilty. I broke the law. I disobeyed, and here's the evidence of it. Listen, we live in a world and in a culture that does not want to take responsibility for the actions that it takes. For the consequences that come from the actions that they do and what they commit, there is a consequence involved and so they want to get around that at any possible cost. It's ridiculous. And what people don't understand about consequences, it's a direct result of my actions and your actions. And there is no one else to blame other than yourself, right? I could sit there all day long and be like, he was waiting for me. It was a stop sign trap. It was, I was in pain. My circumstances, you don't understand. And I could go to the judge and contest. And you know what he would say? Did you roll through that stop sign? Yes, I did. So I'm guilty. Listen, it's like a thermometer. A thermometer tells you that you're sick. It's not the thermometer's fault it's not the thermometer that's sick, is it? It just reveals my sickness. The storm that Jonah's about to enter is a result of his sin. Not all storms are results of sin, but all sin will result in a storm of consequence in some sort of way. It may not be immediate, it may not be as dramatic as what he's about to experience, but listen, all sin leads to the storm of judgment before a holy and just God. The Bible is clear on that. Like sin has consequences. And that's why we're all here, like Adam and Eve. Sin has a consequence. Um, it reminds me of, the, of King Saul. He was told by God to destroy King Agag, to destroy the Agagites. But he left some of them alive. Remember the story as he's, the Lord tells him to wipe out everything. Do not take anything back. And he comes back into the city and he brings King Agag with him. He brings sheep. He brings oxen. All the things that he was told to destroy. And he tells, he tells Samuel, I have done everything that the Lord has told me to do. And Samuel says, then why do I hear sheep? He's like, oh, those? Those are fluffy sheep. Look at them sheep. Those are, that's not bad stuff. That's good stuff. We're going to keep that. And he's like, is that, is that King Agag? Oh, yeah, him. Um, he's the king. No big deal. And you think, why is that such a big, why would God command this? Saul's disobedience actually brought him to the end of his life. There on Mount Gilboa, Saul is run through by an Agagite. He's killed by an Agagite. Later, if you know the story of Esther, there's a man named Haman who is a descendant of King Agag who tried to kill the entirety of the Jewish nation. So listen, sin's serious. Sin has consequences. And the reason that God tells us to do something or to stay away from something, it's because God loves you. He loves you enough to tell you that that will harm you, that will destroy you. Don't do that. And so what Jonah is about to experience and what it reveals is that Jonah was in sin. 
And when he ran from God, God sends this wind that then creates this storm upon the sea that was so gnarly that it was, in, it, it was so powerful that this little boat was about to be ripped to shreds. Failure to obey the Lord has consequences. But why does God allow us to experience the consequences of our sin, right? Like we talk about a loving God and a gracious God and a merciful God. Then why does God allow us sometimes to experience the, the, like the impact of that? Well, verses three and four, it tells us that, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to that place. I can't say it anymore. It just sounds so weird coming out of my mouth, Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to, the, to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Why does God allow us to experience the consequences of our sin? They serve as a wake-up call. They serve as a wake-up call to the direction that we are heading. How is a loving God allowing to me allowing me to experience this. Jonah could have been like, this is unfair. I didn't want to go anyway. Why would God allow this? Because God loves Jonah. Not only does this storm reveal sin, it reveals God's love. God will not allow us to sin that easy. He will not make it easy for us to sin. He's not going to stand back, not convict you of sin, because he loves you more than that. The most dangerous thing in this story is not the storm, it's not the fish. The most dangerous thing in this story is sin, unrepented sin. That's the most dangerous thing because of the downward spiral and downward trajectory, God uses these storms or this storm of consequence to wake Jonah up. Like, Understand, look what it says in, earlier in the text. It says that he uh, arose to flee from what? The presence of the Lord. Like he's trying to escape the presence of God. And then it says that he went down to Joppa. He paid the price. He went down into the boat from the presence of the Lord. Skip down to verse five. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. Do you see the downward spiral of his life? As far as he could get from the presence of God. As far, he is running as hard as he can to get as far away from the Lord as he could. But he forgot the psalm that was written, where can I go from your presence? If I, if I descend into hell, you are there. If I ascend into the heights, you are there. There is nowhere that I can go that you won't be there. But that's what happens, man. When you are so consumed with your sin, you forget God's word. You forget that you can't run from him. And, and thanks be to God who doesn't allow us to do that. I'm so thankful for a God that loves us enough to allow the consequences of my sin, parking tickets, speeding tickets. I'm, you know, obviously there's other sins that I'm not going to admit to you tonight. But I, I'm thankful that like God loves me enough to allow those consequences in my life as a wake-up call to say, hey, stop. Like, what are you doing? It's like smelling salts of someone who gets knocked out. Like, wake up. There he is sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And the guy goes, how could you be asleep right now? The boat's being torn apart. And here you are napping. Wake up. And Jonah, at that point, had no, there was no escaping the presence of God. Like, it just removed that option. 
Here he is in the middle of the ocean, just like, that's it. I can't escape. He found me. I, I thought I could go to the farthest reaches of the earth, the bottom of the boat, even the ocean. Man, he's there. He found me. But that downward spiral, listen, God loves you enough to allow you to experience his wrath through consequences of your own sin. This serves as a warning that if you keep going this way, man, it's not going to end well for you. And consequences destroy the illusion that sin doesn't matter. Destroys that illusion that sin doesn't matter. Sin matters. God cares about sin. Hence, the cross of Jesus Christ. If sin wasn't a big deal, that it wouldn't have cost Jesus everything. Glory. His own life. Like, sin was so costly that Jesus allowed his skin to be opened, his veins to be emptied for our sin. That's how serious it is. And so sin has a consequence. And when we experience those consequences, it destroys that illusion that it doesn't matter. The storm shows us that our sin matters, but also it shows us God's love for us. But it also removes something in Jonah's life. As you move through the text, they ask him these questions, right? They, they begin to just roast him. Like, arise, call on your God. Like, perhaps your God will consider us. We've tried everything. Our gods aren't answering, which is so sad. They're calling on their gods, and the one guy who actually has the true and living God is asleep in the boat. Isn't that true sometimes that non-Christians behave more like Christians than Christians? Like sometimes they can be more loving and more full of faith and hope than those that have the true and living God. And here, here's Jonah like just sleeping away. But at this point, they say to him, we're casting lots. Like we're going to find out. This storm is not natural. This is supernatural. And we're going to find out why this is happening. And so they cast lots. The lot falls to Jonah. And they begin to roast him. Tell us. Like, why did you bring this trouble upon us? What is your, what's your job? Like, what's your random questions? What's your occupation? Where are you from? What, what people group? What language do you speak? Who's your God? Some really interesting questions. And notice that he doesn't answer like any of them, but he answers, first of all, that I'm a Hebrew. I'm just a Hebrew. That's my nationality. And then he says, oh yeah, by the way, like, I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And they said, why have you done this? Because he told them, I've actually run from God. He never told them that he was a prophet because that would have brought so much fear into that boat. You're a prophet of God and you ran from God? You're an idiot. <laughs> and, and he just, they tell him like, for the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord. Why? They, they even asked him, like, why have you done this? Like, if you know the true and living God, why would you run from him? It's just an interesting and, like, really seeking question, isn't it? Last week we talked about how sometimes we can run from God in lawlessness or legalism. And so the question that they ask him is a question we ask ourselves. Why do I run from him? Why do I run from a God that loves me and cares for me and has the best for me? Why do I run from that? Why so often do I feel better sick than I do well? There's something wrong with God? 
There's something wrong with me. And that's what this is revealing. And I love that, that through all of this, God is seeking to bring Jonah to a place of repentance in his life. All of these things, the consequences, the difficulty. But listen, this sin didn't just affect Jonah, it affected these sailors. It affected all these guys. They're like, we're going to lose our lives because of your stupidity. Sin has a rippling effect. And, some, and either it's, it's be, I don't know if you've experienced it, is because of your own sin that you've seen the ripple effect in others, or you've been on the receiving side of it and you're one of those people that have been hit by the ripple. Like you've been hit by it because of, of someone else's sin. And so you have an understanding too that sin is costly. The Jews had a real understanding of the costliness of sin. That every time they would sin, they would have to make sacrifice for that sin. Every time that they would commit a sin and going against God, something had to die. So they would take a lamb that no doubt would be bleeding, like bleating, screaming, and they would walk it to the priest. It would have to be the best animal of the flock. No spot, no blemish. Couldn't be the one that you're like, if that one dies, I don't care. It had to be the best. They would walk that to the priest. The priest would take it. He would spill its blood upon the altar. They would be made clean before the Lord, and they would walk out of that door. And you better believe the next time they sinned, they had a real understanding. Man, I got to do this again. It cost them something. That's why when Jesus shows up on the scene and John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, every Jew would turn around and go, are you serious? This guy can take it away? Every other lamb that I've sacrificed has just been covered. And I had to hope and pray that God would look upon that sacrifice and not mine. I had to pray and hope that he would accept that. I had to pray, God, please, would you please be merciful and look upon this sacrifice and not look upon my own sin. May this take the penalty for my sin. And they had no guarantee. And here John the Baptist says, this is the one who takes it away forever, separated from you. Sin is costly. Sin is costly. It has a consequence. It removes from us, sometimes it removes the illusion that, um, that God doesn't care, but also this storm and the consequences of our sin, it removes a false sense of security. Jonah makes this decision to run from God and he's like stoked, like it's working. Just so happens that there's a boat going to the very place that I wanted to go. It's crazy. And I have the exact change in my pocket. This is this has to be the Lord. Like, God, you approve of me running away from you. This is awesome. You have provided for me, God. Has that ever happened to you? We're, we're like, <laughs> I know God's word says I'm not supposed to do this, but man, look at the provision of the Lord and the favor of God to steal from my job or to, to look at something I'm not supposed to look at. Look at the provision. God, the desire is taken away and I'm able to just continue. Oh man, it's gotta be the provision of God. Just so happens that a boat down in Joppa happens to be going to the place that he's going. He just has enough money in his pocket. Maybe it's the Lord. Perhaps God approves of this decision that I'm making. No. Remember what God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Does God change his mind? 
No. So when he receives the word from the Lord and he says, maybe, maybe God's changed his mind. No, he hasn't. So he goes in direct disobedience to God's word. God does not go back on his word. Doesn't go back on his word. But we can confuse God's patience and long suffering for his provision and his approval. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for God's long suffering and patience with me. But do not mistake it for God's approval of what you're doing. Like, count it a blessing that God is patient with you. The devil, remember him. Remember that guy? The devil will always provide a way for you to sin and disobey God. Like he will always make it super easy. Say you have a girlfriend and you're like, we're, we're living in purity. Like we are walking with Jesus. We have a curfew, 10 o'clock. We are, we're making it to the altar pure. And you're like, it's 9.59 and all our friends are gone and it's dark. And suddenly my backseat folds down. And you're like, what is going on? <laughs> the approval of God, the temptation of the devil. Like, understand that he will make it as easy as possible for you. He will make it as easy as possible for you to sin and go against the word of God. So, understand that the devil also makes provision. But he makes provision for the flesh. Verses 6 and 7, any thought of him being able to run from God has now been removed. So what does this storm require? As, he, as we move through the text... Look at what they say. What shall we do to you that the sea may calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. Verse 11. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. What does this storm require? It requires repentance. Now we can speculate as to why he said throw me into the sea. He could be like, you know what? Just end my life. Like it's better than going to Nineveh. So just throw me in. Um, we're not sure why, but if you look at the guys before him, they're like, what do we got to do to stop this? There's a difference between false repentance and true repentance. False repentance is, I just want to get out of this consequence, right? You see that with children when you're like, say you're sorry. They're like, sorry. Are you really sorry? Absolutely not. And I do it again. Watch, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> and they slide. <laughs> say you're sorry. Sorry. We do the same thing. As adults, apologize. And you're like, I've been practicing my whole life to say with my mouth things that I don't really mean in my heart. I think you're amazing. <laughs> and in your mind, you're like, you're an idiot. I don't even like you. You know what I mean? In your, with your mouth, you can say anything you want. But in your heart, you're like, nah, nah. True repentance says, not how can I get out of this, but how can I make this right with God? Like, that's true repentance. It's not just like, God, just stop the consequence. Just take me out of this. I can't take it anymore. What do I have to do to get out of the, the situation I'm in? I, I counsel with a lot of people like that. Like, how, how do I get this to stop? Like, I continue like this. I, I just, what do I do? I've read my Bible. I've done this. I've done that. Listen, you're there because of your own disobedience. So don't look at God and go, God, you, you got to stop doing this to me. You got yourself there. You got yourself there. Own the consequence, deal with it. What you can do is apologize to God, repent from your sin, and then get things right. At least you'll be right with God. Nobody likes to be corrected. No one likes to have those conversations that are difficult. No one likes to go to someone that you've offended and deal with it, right? I don't. 
No one likes to be corrected. I don't like to be corrected. Anyway. So, true repentance says, how can I make this right with God? And I love verse 17. It says, God had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. He says to the guys, just, just throw me in. His, his, here is his repentance. You need to pick me up and throw me in the sea. This is because of me. And I need to take the consequence. Like maybe this is where I've disobeyed God and the penalty of disobeying God is death. And so, throw me in. And here I am. This is where it'll end. But I love that it said that God had already prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. God had already provided a means to save him from his sin. God had provided mercy and grace for his sin. And in fact, it's the ultimate picture of Jesus Christ who threw himself into the ultimate consequence of our sins upon the cross, threw himself into the storm of God's wrath and says, let it be to me, not to them. Let their sins be upon me, your wrath be upon me and not them. These consequences in our life not only reveal our sin, they reveal God's love. It removes any false sense of security that we may have, that God approves of sin, or that God won't deal with sin. They have a purifying effect in our life, but we will never ultimately, it will never be the full punishment of our sin because Christ took the full punishment of our sin. He took it all. What little consequence we experience, as difficult as that may be, it is nothing in comparison to separation from God for all of eternity, which is the punishment that we deserve. To those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we will never experience the full weight of our sin because Jesus is the one who did it for us. He took it. And these corrections are God's loving discipline. And I want to leave you tonight with these verses in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Sometimes we experience the consequences of our sin. Not sometimes, we will experience the consequences of our sin. It's a part of life. It may not be immediate, but sometimes those consequences have lasting effects upon our life. But the good news is we will never experience the full punishment of it because of Jesus. There's grace, there's mercy. And what Jonah is about to experience in chapter two is the grace of God in the belly of a fish. Um, but I love that verse. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's not fun. Maybe you're, you're sitting there and you're like, man, I have done, I've been so dumb. I've done some dumb stuff. Welcome to the club of dumb stuff. Part of being a Christian and part of being a human being is making mistakes. Like, Jesus doesn't condemn you for that sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin because God is drawing you to himself to forgive you of that sin and to take the burden and the shame of that sin so that we can continue to walk with him. 
So if you're struggling, you're like, man, I've done some dumb stuff. We all have. But thanks be to God that there's grace and there's mercy. And if God is disciplining you and you're experiencing it, embrace it as God's love and affection for you. Because God loves you enough to not let you go on and to escape his grip, it's not going to happen. He's going to pull you back in. Um, just as a father has to discipline his own children, it is so painful for them. No, <laughs> it's painful for me. I, I hate it. I hate it. It's, it's the last thing I want to do is to say, go get the spoon. And to watch them in terror as they look up at me and go, this man will break me in half. It's the last thing I want to do. But I know as a dad, I have to do it. I have to. I have to. Otherwise, they will be horrible human beings. Horrible adults. I have to discipline them. And as painful as it is for them, understand that it's not my joy either. But it's with that intention of restoration and discipleship unto Jesus that I have to do it. So that as, a, as an earthly father would discipline his own children, they can understand that their heavenly father who loves them is also going to discipline them. And both of them are painful. But both of them are from a place of love and affection that will never stop. Look what he says at the end of that, in the, in the second part of, of Hebrews 12, 11. Afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. A harvest of right living. What you reap is what you sow. And a lot of times we, we use that in the negative, right? You reap, you, you sow towards sin, you're going to reap the consequences. The opposite is the same. You sow towards righteousness and you will reap the fruit of righteousness. Sowing and reaping is a part of life. Discipline in that God is training us to, that we might have good and peaceful harvest and right living within our life. And it has to come, a lot of times, through our own pain and difficulty. Because God loves you enough not to just let you go. Yeah. But sometimes... It's, it's hard, man. But know that God is, is with you in the middle of it. I love that as Jonah just tried to push God away and reject him and go as far as he could away from him, God's like, yeah, right. Are you serious? You think I don't see you at the bottom of the boat? I can see you. And in fact, I'm with you. I'm in the middle of it. And all this going on around you, guess what? I'm right here in the middle of it. And, and you know what's going to happen next? There's a fish that's going to swallow you. And I'm going to be in there with you too. In all of this, God is moving Jonah to a place of understanding God's grace, his mercy, his affection, his love. Because what he's about to experience at Nineveh, he's going to see it poured out on a people that do not know God and are so wicked and so God is, I believe God is trying to show Jonah this same mercy and this same grace that you needed in your life is what I'm going to pour out on these people. And the divine grace of God has a universal sweep over the nations. So, book of Jonah, it's not about the fish. <laughs> Let's pray.
Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, that you love us enough that when we, we go against your word and we doubt your, your love for us and we disobey, God, we thank you for your loving, your loving pursuit of us. Lord, that those that you love, you chasten. Lord, those that you love, you go after. And Lord, we're so thankful that you don't let us get too far. And no matter how far downward and spiral we go, Jesus, we're so thankful that there's nowhere that we can go that you aren't there as well. And so no matter tonight, wherever, wherever these guys are at, we thank you, Lord, that you're there in the midst of it. Lord, for those that are suffering innocently, still healing, still, still going through the process, God, we pray that your presence would be just poured out upon them. You remind them that you're, you're there with them in the midst of it. You've never left. You've never left them. You've never forsaken them. You will not deny yourself, Lord. And so, God, we're so grateful for a, for a God that loves us this much. And so, Lord, we pray tonight, Jesus, convict us of sin where, where we are. Lord, I pray that for myself. Lord, convict me of my own sin. Lord, don't let me get too far. Don't let me harden my heart towards you. Lord, break up that that fallow ground that, that the seed of the word might be implanted that we might grow and bear fruit for your name and so Lord we pray that in, in Jesus name